Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Cheesy. And I'm Stacy. I think we're here to talk about how do you test commercial off-the-shelf systems? Because a lot of companies buy products like Salesforce or SAP, uh, and then they build things around it. And then when it comes time to actually test the software that they are uh, that they are producing using these systems, they sort of get stuck on on how to actually test these things. So, what are some of the things to watch out for d- during during those integrations, especially when it comes to testing? Because there's a tendency for us to run a huge amount of end to end tests because that's the only way we think we can actually check whether this software, which is more or less a black box, does what it's supposed to do. Uh, the the one thing that I would strongly, strongly suggest for any team that finds himself in this position is to spend time up front building out the right type of mocking frameworks. So, in other words, uh, testing end-to-end into these systems typically yields things that are incredibly brittle, things that will fail for no obvious reason constantly, and so the, the way that I would try to test all of my code and how it integrates with it is to build smart mocks that can, can kind of simulate the different ways that I'm accessing that system. And I would supplement that with exploratory testing. And uh, yeah, that's probably about it. Yeah, I think about a lot of stuff from an architectural standpoint, like if you think about patterns like uh, a gateway pattern or like hexagonal design or, or these things that help us find the boundaries between the pieces of our systems, if you can create that kind of a seam or a boundary and um, you know put that between you and the third-party system, what you're doing is you're kind of protecting yourself from a third-party dependency. If there's change there, you have an integration point. You can adapt to the change without having to make changes inside your own system. And I think patterns like that can really help protect the, um, the organization from the, sort of the leak back from what, what often turns out to be quite a number of accumulated external dependencies. At the end of the day, for those systems, users end up using the UI that's provided with those with those systems. Salesforce is a good example, right? I mean, you end up using the, the end user ends up using the Salesforce UI, and and the the code that the organization writes is usually integration code with some of the other systems that exist in the uh, in the landscape. So it's not necessarily user facing. So, ha- what would you tell organizations that rely on user testing? through the COTS as, as verification. Like, for example, they will invest a lot of money, maybe even hire a QA team, which just runs a bunch of Selenium tests against the, I'll go with Salesforce, with a Salesforce UI, just to see whether it does what it's supposed to do, because that's the only part that's visible to the user, and that's the only way that they get comfort. What, what are the cha- well, there, there's a fundamental challenge in, in the broader approach there. Uh, that I have seen, often what happens is they think of things like projects then. And so, and and often it is more of a QA staff that's building out these tests, like you said, Zarar. 
And so one of the challenges is they wait until they finish a lot of things and they have this notion of kind of regression-y type stuff instead of uh, doing very targeted focused testing while they're making changes. So for example, I'm making a change in this area. Oh, while I'm making the change, let me target it and focus on testing it with something akin to exploratory testing. And, uh, and, you know, but instead what they do is they wait until they've done a lot of those many days or weeks or perhaps even months worth of changes. And that's why they feel that they have to have these massive test suites to run all of the time. So, again, you know, unfortunately, so many of these tools, they don't have valid unit testing frameworks. And a lot of them do claim that they do have testing built in, but it's more of that running end-to-end type test, like like you were uh, describing there, Zarara. And, and to be quite honest, those end up building a brittle mess that 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 really doesn't work that well. So, from a continuous delivery perspective, uh, it, it becomes even more complex. So, I don't know that that most of those tools are well suited for continuously delivering, just because of the overhead in some cases of building out something that can be deployed and then ultimately deploying it as well. So what I would tend to do is look at continuous deployment as all of the things around it, you know, and we can continuously deploy those, again, driven by unit tests or lower level tests with really smart mocking. And uh, since we're going to be, you know, have this monolith setting in the middle, that's going to be deployed less frequently uh, ample feature toggles as well to kind of control those changes and the release of those changes. When I'm talking about testing, I'm often talking to folks about this notion of um, the, the uh, testing is harder to do. It's more expensive the further away it's done from the implementation. And quite often I'm talking about time. So we build the implementation and then later we attempt to find ways to test it. And, you know, this is, this is certainly a challenge, but there are other vectors for that distance. So, for example, if you're trying to test something through some other user interface, you're not testing it directly. You're testing it kind of via remote control for all this intermediate infrastructure. And that's, that's, that's super challenging. And and one of the things that, in my experience, kind of exacerbates that is the way we teach developers to use these systems. You know, when when you go and you sit down and you say, I'm going to learn Angular, or I'm going to learn how to use Twilio, or like pick a system, the, the developer documentation leads you through how to do that in such a way as your code ends up tightly coupled to that system. And if you're um, kind of getting started and you want to be useful and I want to build a thing that does something that, you know, I can see, that's, that's great, but it's terrible for like a production system. <laughs> you really have to have those uh, architectural separations to help you find uh, good isolation, to run your tests closer to the actual implementation. Yeah. When people start thinking about, you know, they, they start up, whether it make a new product or start a new project and they, and they think about, well, how are we going to test it? And you look at the testing strategy, they automatically sort of 
assume that it's going to be the same old user acceptance test done through the UI. And they don't necessarily challenge the status quo and say, what are the seams that exist in our new architecture? And where do we get fast feedback when we make changes? What seams do we have to attack to get that fast feedback? So for example, if you are writing, say, maybe an integration into your Twilio system, how do you know that the right SMS messages are being sent and consumed by your uh, by by the app that you're writing, well, that's a seam right there which you can which you can test against, and and your test strategy should be well. We're going to write a bunch of tests against this integration point right here. This is what our inputs and outputs will be. Maybe you even have to build your own UI just to do the testing. I don't know what whatever it is. Instead, what we do is, or what tends to happen is that we go well. Any test that we do must have Twilio integrated in it. But as soon as you put that as a central part of your testing system, you've already added a lot of things that you talked about, Stacey, like time delays and so on and lack of mocking. So already just by starting off on the wrong foot, you have automatically taken off the table a lot of the opportunities for improvement that might have happened. I I also like to help folks think about um, if a test fails, what is it that failed? You know, if you've got a lot of stuff between your test and the thing you're testing, you don't know what failed. All you know is I got a test that doesn't work, and then you got to launch into an investigation and figure it out. Wouldn't it be nice if the test told you where the problem was? I'd just add that I think organizational structure and management and leadership have some effect on this as well. And that might be that might sound really strange at first, but let's talk about organizational structure and and the leadership aspect of who is ultimately responsible for quality. So what I find is that if you often bring in non-technical folks, then you'll get one type of testing that's applied because it's what they're able to do. If you get bring in somewhat technical folks, folks who maybe know enough to write some automated test scripts, but that don't understand the nitty gritty of the code or aren't actually under the hood, you'll tend to get a different type of tests, you know, that that are written as well. Uh, if you have developers who aren't accountable for tests, then they won't spend the time to make sure that those test suites that they're building are actually thorough or robust or that, that do a lot of these things. So as opposed to the, the final uh, structure is that if you have a place where developers are fully accountable and that they have a passion for quality, then what I find is in that kind of an environment, they tend to spend the time and take the time to make sure that they find those seams, back to what you were saying, Azrar, or where they create the infrastructure or the the tools or the mocks or whatever it tends to be that, that they need uh, in order to support uh, a, a robust testing. So, so it's, it's sometimes, unfortunately, it, it goes back to the system itself and that the, the testing kind of conforms to the system that, that the work is happening within. Are you a little surprised that, you know, given that the amount of investment that happens by large companies on on COTS, that the, these the, the, these softwares that that are used, they don't come with some sort of guidance 
on how to actually integrate their software. Like even if they had to give their own consultants to come and help organizations know how to test better, they don't even do that. And when they do, the thinking is so short-sighted. It literally boils down to install Selenium, hit the UI. Like what's preventing our industry from getting smarter about this? Because it is 2021 and we're st- our approach to this is still very much 2004-ish. Well, so many of your companies who buy these off-the-shelf solutions like that still have a 2004-ish mindset within the company, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true, you know. Uh, and to be quite honest, a lot of these big package companies that sell big packages, it's not in their interest to make it simple. They make a lot of their money off of selling consulting services, right? And so... So uh, and and they can't fathom their customers wanting to do things like deliver rapidly, you know, or or turn changes around in a, in a matter of a few minutes or even a few hours for that matter. So they don't take the time or effort to build out those tools. As soon as you invite one of the, one of these COT systems into your ecosystem, you're automatically putting a ceiling on how good you'll ever be. I think that's true. You you have to choose several things carefully. One is like the vendor. Uh, you know, some vendors simply put more work into the developer experience. You know, it's it, if you look at like Twilio or Stripe or these these companies that have made a name for themselves, having done that, having done that that work in the community, but also how do you how do these companies get engaged? You know, if it's treated as a project, it's got a set timeline and it doesn't leave space to adapt the thing that was done into the organization. And if the organization isn't allocating additional resources to help internalize that work that was done, uh, pairing with the consulting team while they're there, pulling that knowledge inside, taking over its ongoing maintenance, it can it can fall down. If you do that, I, I think it can be done with with a greater degree of success. And I made the comment about the, uh, the the ceiling you put on when you invite them in. You also get a floor. Like I shouldn't discount that. You get some basic functionality out of the out of the box, which you don't have to build. There's a lot to consider for sure. I mean. Some companies that don't want to maintain development staff buying packages like this is the way for them to go. I mean, some companies that 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 are have have a simple environment or that don't want to really maintain development staff, may, maybe it gives them enough, you know, and maybe they think that the costs are are acceptable, and maybe they think that the cost of throwing, you know, an army of of manual testers at something or ha- having people maintain Selenium scripts constantly and constantly complain that something else is causing their test to fail is is the way to go but clearly that's not the world that 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 we like the world of continuous delivery or continuous deployment and so although sometimes even in our world we do have to run up against these especially in larger organizations and uh you know the the teams that i like to work with are the teams that whenever they run into that the first thing you start to think about is how can I isolate it? How can I simulate it? How can I mock it? How can I, you know, minimize the impact of it altogether? 
And so I think that's the way to go. Sometimes vendors will provide some harnessing, you know, some vendor specific harnessing for their platform or what have you. And often in order to use that harnessing, you, you have to code quite tightly to it. It ends up also being a dependency in your code base. And the, the, the harnessing was kind of a nice step, but to, to the vendor's credit, right? Like there's a whole world of companies out there that might want to buy their software. And what are they going to be able to accommodate to build something that's effective for everybody, of course, ends up servicing almost nobody or whatever the lowest common denominator is. So these, these harnesses, you, you don't really need them. <laughs> if you're doing the, the proper isolation, you might push them, uh, you might not use them, you might push them out to something more akin to integration testing later if you feel you need to. Um, you know, you think about your testing pyramid and, you know, you push those things a little up closer to the top and you keep your isolated tests, more of them, more exhaustive, closer to the bottom. And it, um, it might fill out a strategy, you know, save you from some of the tests at the tippy top of the pyramid. And that concludes this edition of the Continuous Delivery Podcast. Goodbye.